Hello and welcome again to another edition of Irreligiosophy, and this week we've actually got a doozy. Um, now, Charlie, I know we've talked about only having two listeners when we uh, when we do these podcasts, but I think we just found a third listener from Sydney, Australia, and I believe this week's podcast is perfect for the email he sent. Yeah, actually, uh, we've been receiving more emails about our Mormon stuff than we have about anything else. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's more uh, just fascinating to people because, I mean, the LDS religion has been in the news quite a bit lately, and I don't think a lot of people know very much about it. In fact, uh, let me quote what Chris said uh, right here. Uh, let's see. I found you, your ex... I'm sorry. Do you have his permission to quote his private email and spread it out to all uh, three of our listeners? Well, seeing how I'm not using his last name, I think he's safe. <laughs> and in fact, I sent him an email stating that I was uh, hoping to use his email in this podcast. And trust me, from uh, from what he put on the last of this, I, I don't think he's going to mind because he's pretty sure to be joining us in hell too. So you are in fact using it without permission. Yes, I am. All right, just want to and make that clear. In fact, I'm I'm pretty sure that will thrust me into hell as well. But I'm okay with that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. It says. Uh, I found your explanations of the history and doctrines of the LDS Church absolutely fascinating. It boggles my mind that people can take that stuff seriously. Now, uh, the reason why I quote that is this week we've got a doozy. We've got an article called, The Mantle is Far, Far Greater Than the Intellect. And uh, trust me, once we go through this, that statement right there about it boggling your mind that people can take this seriously is going to be answered with this article. Yeah, I've been chomping at the bit to do a review of this article um, for months now. I came upon this when I was going through the process years ago um, of of trying to figure out which, uh, you know, was was I going to be converted into Mormonism? Was my wife becoming less Mormon? So I was going and talking to bishops and uh, missionary, going through a bunch of discussions. I mean, I was raised Mormon, but I wasn't raised really in the church. So some of this stuff was new to me, right? And so one of the guys gave me this article, The Mantle is Far, Far Greater Than the Intellect, and it was an eye-opener. Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, it was an eye-opener for me, too. You gave me this article about two years ago, and uh, the difference between you and I was I was on the cusp of going atheist at this point, and this article sent me over the edge. It did nothing but piss me off when I read this thing. Yeah, what it is, is it's um, Boyd K. Packer, who is either an apostle or a general authority. Um, apostles are the 12 people who follow around the, the president and, and their... Um, uh, really highly esteemed in uh, the Mormon Church, um, the oldest apostle, the person who served longest in the apostle office, becomes the next president when the other guy, the the president, dies. Yeah. Uh, but underneath them is a general authority, so he's at least a general authority at this time, if not an apostle. Yeah, yeah. Which that in and of itself tells you just how poorly they think about uh, history and facts when we go through this. I mean, it is just fraught with stupidity. Yeah, it's even worse because the talk is actually being given in front of a number of church educators. So he refers in the talk to seminary teachers, institute teachers, and BYU professors. Um, That's exactly right. I mean, he actually puts forward four rules that they are to follow. And we'll go over all of this, but I mean... This talk 
is for the teachers, the people who are going out to uh, to teach those who are new to the church or those who want to learn about the church history, that sort of thing. And this, <clears throat> that right there is the very reason why this article pisses me off so much, because this is the guidance of the teachers within the church. Yeah, so he's talking to, you know, so seminary is... Um, uh, four years within high school that you take, um, you don't get any credit for it, but you take it just to kind of improve your knowledge of, of the LDS church, I suppose. Institute, or take a nap. Or right. take a nap in your case. Institute <laughs> is, uh, you can take it in college, right? Institute's college level yeah. courses. I think I took a marriage preparation or at least two classes. I couldn't take it anymore before I got married to my wife. Um, and then uh, obviously BYU professors are teaching at Brigham Young University. So that's the context of the talk. He's talking to church educators. And actually, I've, I went through and highlighted uh, large amounts of these that, that I want to just read. Um, and some of it doesn't even bear uh, comment. Um, for example, yeah. uh, second paragraph. He introduces himself. And in the second paragraph, he says, I've come to believe that it is a tendency for many members of the church who spend a great deal of time in academic research to begin to judge the church, its doctrine, organization, and leadership, present and past, by the principles of their own profession. Uh, next paragraph, it is an easy thing for a man with extensive academic training to measure the church using the principles he has been taught in his professional training as his standard. In my mind, it ought to be the other way around. A member of the church ought always, particularly if he is pursuing extensive academic studies, to judge the professions of man against the revealed word of the Lord. Yeah, I got to tell you, both you and I have a lot of the same articles highlighted. I can already tell this because those two were first on my list as well. Uh, the police coming for you? Well, it happens about once a month. I just have to uh, flee to another country. It takes me a little bit. It almost sounds like one of those nineteen twenty sirens. <laughs> All right, so fire department dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy is talking about you know a common refrain. We've heard it before. Be careful. It's, it's easy for people with extensive academic training to begin to think that the church is uh, a little off kilter, right? Yeah. Really? <laughs> so he says, many disciplines are subject to this danger. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Over the years, I've seen many members of the church lose their testimonies and yield their faith as the price for academic achievement. Many others have been sorely tested. And then he goes on to illustrate a point, and this is beautiful. Yeah, the point he makes here is just, it's its perfect for the absolute asininity of this entire article. You can't even paraphrase it, so I apologize for reading this stuff, but it's just fascinating. You have to hear this. It's good. It's good. During my last year as one of the supervisors of seminaries and institutes of religion, a seminary teacher went to a large university in the East to complete a doctorate in counseling and guidance. The ranking authority in that field was there. Uh-huh. And took a, sure. quickly took an interest in this personable, clean-cut, very intelligent young Latter-day Saint. Our teacher attracted attention as he moved through the coursework with comparative ease. <laughs> because all I love how he's always bright yeah. and clean-cut. Yeah. All, they're all um, much smarter than everybody else. Of course. And, and his future looked bright indeed, that is, until he came to the dissertation. He chose to study the ward bishop as a counselor. Well, you know, the, the subject matter is actually interesting. I would like to see um, actual scholarly studies to see how ward bishops who are untrained in counseling, uh, what kind of advice they give and what the effects of that advice are as compared to someone with actual training. I'd like to see that study. 
Well, see, and that, this is something you and I have discussed previously, wherein uh, we've pointed out that these bishops is there are some appointed... massive fire right next door. <laughs> uh, I am Please not sure. Donate but... so we can get late in a soundproof studio. Hey, now hold on. If they're going to donate, I'm going to Australia to visit our our, our third listener. I mean, come on now. <laughs> After all, he's going to want to punch me out for quoting him anyway. I'm so. going to try to ignore the remaining sirens. I don't know where the hell you live, but good lord. <laughs> what were you saying? Oh, yeah, I live a study for bishops and counselors. Yeah, yeah. So obviously I live in Somalia. Here comes another one. <laughs> All right, let's try again. <laughs> so uh, we, we've had many discussions wherein we've talked about how bishops are appointed through revelation, and then uh, through kneeling down and praying, they decide who their two counselors are going to be. And these are the people that everybody within the ward goes to to talk about their problems, whether they be spiritual, worldly, financial, so on and so forth. And these are the people who are giving them advice. So you're absolutely correct. This would be a fascinating dissertation to to look through and to read. Right. Um, but that's not what he wants to do. Uh, going on, he says, In the dissertation, he described the calling and ordination of a bishop, described the power of discernment, the right of a bishop to receive revelation, and his right to spiritual guidance. His doctoral committee did not understand this. Yeah, I'm right with them. Yeah. They felt so, it had no place in a scholarly paper and insisted that he take it out. I'm right with them there, you too. You think? We're looking, they're looking for facts. They're not looking for speculation here. Yeah, you're claiming that the bishop has some sort of power of discernment without offering any evidence for it. All right, so he came to see me. I read his dissertation and suggested that he satisfy their concern by introducing the discussion on spiritual matters with a statement such as, quote, the Latter-day Saints believe the bishop has spiritual power, or they claim that there is inspiration from God attending the bishop in his calling. Uh, but the committee denied him even this. Now, I think that that is appropriate. On the one hand, uh, I think that should go in any scholarly paper, because it is true that the Latter-day Saints believe that their bishop, their bishop has spiritual power. That's true. You can't uh, have any qualms with that, right? Yeah, they do make a true. claim that there's inspiration from God. However, it becomes very, very clear that that's not what his paper was claiming Yeah, uh, as you go on. It uh, really does. I mean, it's funny that they circle in on this one point, but obviously if you have this uh, board looking at this paper, there's more to the story than correct. they just don't like spiritual matters, which is what he tries to make it sound like. It's just these right. board of intellectuals don't like the idea of spreading spiritualism or anything like that. Right. What we're not told is the rest of, of the dissertation. What was his study method? What was he trying to prove or disprove? What was the whole topic? Um, if it's just an exposition on Mormonism, I'm not sure that makes for much of a dissertation. A dissertation needs to be new knowledge, right? Exactly. And so I can certainly see a committee saying, <laughs> you know, uh, let's see your study methods. Your, your, um, what are you going to do? You're just sending out a questionnaire to these guys. Um, that doesn't prove any uh, of your claim. You know, you're going to get back anecdotal responses from these bishops. Anyway, uh, he quotes from Paul. Well, hold on. You missed one statement here. It was obvious that they would be quite embarrassed to have this ingredient included in a scholarly dissertation. I would obviously, do. yeah. I would um, be very embarrassed to sit on a board that would pass someone who claims that an LDS bishop has some sort of spiritual guidance or discernment. 
without proper evidence. Now, if you if you do a test and you <laughs> if you do a test and sit down and it's uh, blinded properly and all the biases are removed and it somehow is proven that the bishop has some extra sensory perception, um, then let me see the study and I'll judge that. But to just claim it as a fact and move forward from there, that ain't scholarship. Yeah, I agree with you entirely on that. So they said he was reminded of his very great potential. You know, this guy's a genius, um, this LDS guy. Um, and, you know, with some little accommodation, specifically leaving out all the spiritual references. Well, sure, because you don't have any proof of them. His yeah. dissertation would be published and his reputation established at bullshit. <laughs> they predicted that he would become an authority in the field. The field of what? The field of um, bishops counseling other people with spiritual discernment? I, yeah, really? I'm calling bullshit on that. What kind of doctoral was he going for? I mean, uh, seriously. Apparently. He was tempted. Perhaps once established, he could then insert his spiritual ingredient back into his work. No, you can't. You can't alter your PhD once it's published. No. Then, as an established authority, he could really help the church. Aha! <laughs> of course. That's the way. By lying just a little bit, you can do great things. That's the only thing that matters, right? Yeah. That he helps the church. The end um, justifies the means. Sure. His, um, unfortunately, his faith and his integrity uh, stood in the way. So he did the best he could with his dissertation. It did not contain enough of the spirit, capitalized, to satisfy him and too much to have been fully accepted by his worldly professors. But he yeah. received his degree. Um, now they, they say something kind of strange. Um, uh, well, uh, they say his dissertation is not the truly the scholarly document it might have been because the most essential ingredient is missing. <laughs> Revelation is so central a part of a bishop's experience in counseling that any study which ignores it cannot be regarded as scholarly work. Now that is a very interesting paragraph because it puts the cart before the horse. You yes, are, it does. Um, you have to, in order to be a scholarly work in this guy's eyes, you have to accept the truth of Mormonism. If you do not accept the truth of Mormonism, it is an unscholarly work. Exactly. And it's absolutely hilarious because in that one paragraph, he's pointing out the fact that he doesn't understand scholarly work. Even though he's supposed to be a very intelligent, well-educated man, his one point is without the spirit guiding you as to what you should put into your teachings then your work is worthless. All you're doing is more harm than good. Not only is he uh, supposedly intelligent and educated, he is in charge of the seminary teachers and the institute teachers. That's why he's giving this talk, and that's why that guy came to him. He's the guy that should know what the word objective means and what the yeah. word scholarly means. But it's clear, uh, as you continue down this article, this speech, he knows neither. Anyway, yeah. um, so the guy... Didn't do very well. He, he returned to his modest income. <laughs> the relative obscurity of the church educational system. Um, but he said he talked to the teacher a day or two ago, talked about his dissertation, the fact that it was never published. They're always published. Um, I don't know how you turn in a, a paper, receive your degree, and then the dissertation's not published. If it's only published in a library of the school, it's always published. It's accessible by anyone. Yeah, see, that's the fascinating part I saw, too, because he has one sentence that says he received his degree, and then two paragraphs down, he states his dissertation was never published. So if he received his degree, does that mean he, I, I, I don't know, it's unfathomable. I can't figure it out. It seems to me that he doesn't know uh, anything about the academic world. It's not as if you 
get your dissertation, you defend it, and then it gets published, you know, as a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> <laughs> it's published by the uh, university and it's kept in their library. If yeah. people want copies, and they go and they get copies, you know, and, and it's freely available. I don't know what they were expecting, or they think that it wasn't published because it was LDS. You know, it wasn't <laughs> published that, nationwide. That must be exactly what they're thinking: is that uh, that since it didn't fly through Barnes and Noble and sell off the shelves, that obviously it was the scholarly community who was holding yeah. this one faithful guy down. So uh, he says he did the right thing. He summed up his experience this way. Uh, quote, the mantle is far, far greater than the intellect. The priesthood is the guiding power, end quote. So that's a, you know, the title of the, the speech. And actually, um, the mantle <laughs> in the Mormon church is the calling, right? Or the office yeah. that you hold. So when you, by receiving this office, you get this mantle of authority. And so when you become a bishop, you're supposedly receive the right to receive divine revelation for your flock. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's so, exactly right. So that calling or that mantle, that power, is far greater than your intellect. Even for this amazing genius, LDS, bright, young, clean-cut kid who flew through the coursework with comparative, you know, compared to the rest of the morons in this yeah. Eastern college. Yeah. He the rest of it. you out there who are just regular Christians, you're just not smart as, <laughs> even, as he is. Even his intellect is surpassed by this mantle. <laughs> Alright, so he goes on to say, it must not be too critical of those professors. They do not know of the things of the Spirit. Right? Yeah. Um, Obviously. It's quite another thing when we consider members of the church, right? Particularly those who hold the priesthood and made covenants in the temple. So now he goes on to rail uh, against Mormon scholars. Oh, yeah. That, this was one of my favorite. Uh, it, this is a paragraph that I highlighted and bolded, everything else like that. It says... They say this because, obviously, they are not simply Latter-day Saints, but are also intellectuals trained, for the most part, in secular institutions. They would that some historians who are Latter-day Saints write history as they were taught in graduate school, rather than as Mormons. If we are not careful, very careful, and well, if we are not wise... Second. Let's stop. They would that some historians who are Latter-day Saints write history as they were taught in graduate school, rather than as Mormons. I got news for you. That's exactly what they should do. That's exactly right. Why go to graduate school and be trained if you're just going to write Mormon history as a as an LDS and 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 uh, not try to um, ameliorate your biases? Uh, that's the whole training is to get rid of your biases and look at stuff objectively without um, advocating propaganda. Right? You look at the yep. evidence and you you publish whatever the evidence is. That's exactly right. That's and the training. This is one of the things that just really pissed me off. And this, after reading this article when I was in the LDS church, uh, just on the cusp of leaving and going atheist, this article, I was reading this, and it just kind of slapped me in the face that this is exactly what the LDS church teaches and follows. Yes. If it does not follow the line of God and the Mormon way, then obviously it's just propaganda against the Mormons and you should ignore it. Right. And in fact, hide it. It's, it's anti-Mormon. It's anti-Mormon propaganda. You shouldn't even listen to it. Close your ears. Yeah. So he, he continues, if we are not careful, very careful, and if we are not wise, very wise, we first leave out of our professional study the things of the Spirit. The next step soon follows. We leave the spiritual things out of our lives. 
Yeah, so obviously if you sit down and write an unbiased history of the church, then the next thing is is that the spirit leaves you. Well, of course it does. If you go back and look at the history of the church itself, it's insanity. I mean, you cannot follow these teachings of a man who used to stick his face in a hat to stare at a couple of rocks to get the Book of Mormon. You cannot look on that with any sort of sanity and think, oh, that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Um, and the more you train and the more you learn in, about Mormon history from unbiased sources, from people who aren't LDS writing specifically for the purpose of propagandizing people into the LDS faith, the more you read objective treatments of Mormon history, the less likely it becomes. Okay, so now we move into the, uh, how many cautions? Is like four cautions? There's four cautions. I, I refer to them as rules because uh, basically this is a leader of the church, and if you go against the church, you'll get excommunicated. We already covered that. <laughs> Here we go. So these are f uh, four cautions he offers to the seminary teachers and the institute teachers and the BYU professors. Uh, about teaching. Yep. First caution. There is no such thing as an accurate, objective history of the church without consideration of the spiritual powers that attend this work. Oh, God. Yeah, that's is, pretty painful. There is no such thing as a scholarly, objective study of the office of bishop without consideration of spiritual guidance, of discernment, and of revelation. Accordingly, I repeat, there is no such thing as an accurate or objective history of the church which ignores the spirit. I'm calling bullshit on that one all over the place. Well, if, obvious. If his job, if he wants to say scholarly, accurate, and objective, it is his job to prove or provide any evidence whatsoever of any workings of the Spirit ever. Not just in the Mormon Church, not just for the bishops, but that it exists at all. That's his job. Oh, yeah. I agree with you entirely. I mean, the fact that this is the leader standing there stating that you can't have a history of the church without acknowledging that the spirit was there it just goes to prove to me that he has seen the history the unbiased history of the church and realizes that without accepting that the hand of god was behind everything then all you're doing is following lunacy that's what that statement tells me right there i think i have a sneaking suspicion it's a setup so that he can say well this history, like from D. Michael Quinn, this is embarrassing to us, therefore, uh, it doesn't mention any of the spiritual gifts, therefore, it's unscholarly and inaccurate. I think that's what he's setting up right there. I think you're absolutely uh, right. He goes on, you might as well try to write the biography of Mendelssohn without hearing or mentioning his music, or write the life of Membrant without mentioning light or canvas or color. The Did you just say Membrant? Did I say Membrant? <laughs> the life of Rembrandt without mentioning light or canvas or color. The difference there, uh, Mr. Packer, is uh, music of Mendelssohn actually exists. You can hear it being played. Uh, mm -hmm. The uh, light exists. You can uh, measure its frequency. Canvas exists. Color exists in our heads, um, dependent on the frequency of the light. Um, all this stuff exists. Um, you can point to it, and different observers if their eyes and brains are functioning correctly, will agree on the color green, right? Oh, that's, that's the color true. green. Um, they'll agree that this is a canvas. Um, and uh, <laughs> you, you can't. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, out of 300 million Americans, only, well, there are 11 million 
members of the church, and and one of the general conferences, they said more than half of those are outside of the United States. So that leaves at most five and a half million people in the United States that are Mormons. Tiny. Yeah. Absolute speck on the wall is what this is. Out of 60 people is LDS on average. One out of 60. And that's something that amazes me is why the LDS church itself is in the media and out in front of everybody so much. It's 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 tiny. It's tiny. Uh, if someone who knew very little bit uh, about music and should write a biography of Mendelssohn, uh, one who had been trained to have a feeling for music would recognize that very quickly. I'm calling bullshit on that, too. The reader would not be many pages in the manuscript before he would know that an essential ingredient uh, had been left out. I could. Uh, I don't know anything about music. I, I could do a, an adequate biography of Mendelssohn. Um, As and, if you did I, the proper research, sure. I would expect so. Sure. Mendelssohn would no doubt <laughs> emerge as an ordinary man, perhaps not an impressive man at all. That, apparently, now he's talking about leaving his music out entirely, not just that someone who didn't know very much about music is writing about it. Yeah. Um, without, uh, without that, he would appear at best eccentric. Um, certainly, controversy would develop over why a biography at all. Yeah. See, funny thing is, is I love that statement right there. Without it, he would appear at best eccentric. I mean, basically, he has just stated what the stance of the church is. Without the spirit and without believing that we have a prophet following us, at best, all of us are just hoiky, eccentric people. (laughs) He goes on to say that, the people who are members of the church are even uh, more at risk of doing stuff like this to the church than other people are because they're so eager to appear objective, right? Yeah. If we who research, write, and teach the history of the church ignore the spiritual on the pretext the world may not understand it, our work will not be objective. Now, <laughs> he keeps mentioning the word objective. Uh-huh. It is clear, based on that sentence alone, and every other time he mentions objectivity or objective, he has absolutely no idea what objective means. Well, objective as long as it follows the lines of what he wants. Let's go to an independent source, say Webster's Dictionary, and find out a definition of objective. Uh, let's see. Um, relating to or existing as an object of thought without consideration of independent existence. That's that's really a medieval philosophy uh, definition. That's um, what they're trying to say there, I think, is, is it, it exists outside of us, basically. So well, thank we, you very much for throwing absolute non-relevance towards what Well, that was the first definition. <laughs> they should have moved that down here. Uh, what, the definition we're looking for is the third one. Expressing or dealing with facts or conditions as perceived without distortion by personal feelings, prejudices, or interpretations. Ooh, that last word's really going to get him. That is what objective means, right? So yep. how, if you put your prejudices and biases about the truth or falsehood of the church, can you be objective? He says the objectivity depends on your prejudice. He's, yeah. He has absolutely no idea what the word objective means. He's just using it in a manner that no one else uses it at all. Well, as far as I can see, he may be using it just as a tool to get everybody to think, oh, that's a good point. It's you know, a, uh, It's a buzzword that if you don't know what objective means, you think, oh, yeah, um, Exactly. He's right. Uh, That sounds educated. Um, You can't be objective without it. But, you know, the minute they're called on the carpet, you you really have no idea. Stop using the word. Yeah, exactly. Second caution. Wait, wait, wait. Before we get to the second caution, there's uh, there's one thing that I wanted to clarify for our fan. And 
This, these next I like few... You, I like how you use the word fan singular. Well, that's because we've only got four, and right now he's probably the only one listening to this. I'm not even <laughs> sure we have four fans, but uh, go ahead. <laughs> all right, all right. So this is what's going to clarify your question as to why anybody would even believe in this. And uh, here's a quote. I have walked the ro that road of scholarly research and study and know something of the dangers. If anything, we are more vulnerable than those in some of the other disciplines. Church history can be so interesting and so inspiring as to be a very powerful tool indeed for building faith. If not properly written or properly taught, it may be a faith destroyer. Now, uh, continuing forward, I'll get back to that. Those who have, who have the Spirit can recognize very quickly whether something is missing in written church history. This in spite of the fact that the author may be a highly trained historian and the reader is not. And I might add, we have been getting a great deal of experience in this regard in the past few years. Could uh, that be because it isn't the history of the church that the church teaches that you're able to discern what isn't written as the church history should be? See, now this... Yeah, I, I reject entirely those who have the spirit can recognize it. What it is, is if you read anything negative whatsoever, any type of criticism whatsoever, word one, you know it wasn't written by uh, someone who uh, was, has been approved by the church. Exactly. Any criticism whatsoever, and you can tell early on in the book, very quickly, an ounce of criticism means that it's not written by church-approved sources. You don't need the exactly. Spirit to tell you that. And see, your question was, uh, why would anybody believe this? And that's the funny thing, is the church throws this great PR spin on everything. They try to bury everything that is bad about their church and promote only all the good things. And this right here is case in point. They are telling these teachers out there teaching the young and anybody interested in researching the church that you should ignore everything bad about the church. It is propaganda. That's what he is uh, – that's what he's recommending here, propaganda, history that has been strained of all uh, negative aspects. Everything he doesn't like is tossed aside. And you've whitewashed everything, and so the, only the stuff that suits your purposes gets through. There's no difference between that and what they're doing in North Korea right now and what Hitler did and what um, all petty dictatorships and fascist governments do. They control the stream of information so that you, they, you end up believing what they want you to believe. Exactly. And this point right here is the reason I left the church, period. I do not like things hidden from me for my greater good. And the fact that they would blatantly put out there that they are hiding these facts is just astonishing to me. That, that assertion becomes a lot more clear. It becomes much more of a bald assertion in the second caution. Yeah, I, I was getting to that. Go there ahead. There is a temptation for the writer or the teacher of church history to want to tell everything, whether it is worthy or faith-promoting or not. Some things that are true are not very useful. <laughs> Ouch! The first <sighs> of all, that, that is, that is uh, an admission that there are some bad things in church history. Yeah, there are that's stuff. exactly what that is. Those things should not be taught. For example, Joseph Smith had a relationship with Fanny Alger <laughs> years before even the church says that he received a revelation on plural marriage. Yep. 
In fact, not only did he have a, a relationship with Fanny, I love that name, but when accused of it, he had the accuser excommunicated, thrown out of the presence. Yeah, right. For telling the truth. <laughs> For telling the truth. This, this, yeah. this is a great paragraph. The writer or the teacher who has an exaggerated loyalty to the theory that everything must be told is laying a foundation for his own judgment. I would say not an exaggerated loyalty to the theory that everything must be told, but a loyalty to the truth. Exactly. If it is true, tell it and allow the person listening to make his own judgment. However, if the person listening has half a brain, that could cause them to fall away. That is exactly right. what they're stating here. What, what he's advocating is that you be, and he, he makes this very clear later on, that you are a prosecuting attorney for the church. Yep. You are an attorney that uses every trick of guile, omission, uh, massaging the truth, or uh, leaving it out entirely, skipping you know huge sections... Um, in order to make your case. But the problem is, you have no opposing attorney <laughs> to make the opposite <laughs> case. That's the only way that system works. Can you imagine if our courts just had a prosecuting attorney? The whole thing is retarded. Tell the truth as it is. That is what makes yeah. us men who can be trusted, because yes. we don't shy away from the truth if it makes things difficult for right. us. What you need to do is lay the entire truth out on the table, and let these people decide with all of the information. You are doing them a disservice if you don't give them the entire history. Well, the funny thing to me and is... And that happened to you. You yeah. felt like you had been lied to your entire life. because, And you had. Because these people are telling them, lie. Lie to these students. Tell, yep. tell them lies. Don't tell them the truth. If, if it doesn't seem to be faith-promoting, then don't tell them. Or just flat-out lie. It both yeah. is the same. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is the one thing that when I read this article, that shattered everything. I just yeah. looked at this and said, you know what? Screw this. This is the most retarded thing I have ever come yeah. across. And I can't believe anybody who supposedly follows the morals of Christ, in quotes, that they would tell lies like this and blatantly tell people to lie. Right. I mean, it's just... It is, it is, it is mind-boggling. And when you find that out, and they're hoping against hope that you never look anywhere else, if you find out that you've been lied to, you become angry. You say, yes. why? What are you guys scared of? Why didn't you tell me the truth from the get-go? I'm certainly mature enough in high school and in college, certainly by college, uh, to handle this stuff. And it would have been better had it come from you guys rather than someone else telling me this stuff. Yeah, you guys true. clearly don't believe in your own religion if you think that you need to whitewash its history or omit certain factors and not tell me. That tells me that you are insecure about your own church history. Exactly. Now, now this quote here is the one thing that they try to use as a crutch. The writer or the teacher who has an exaggerated loyalty to the theory that everything must be told is laying a foundation for his own judgment. He should not complain if one day he himself receives as he has given. Perhaps that is what is contemplated in having one's sins preached from the housetops. Excuse me, I am a man. I folly like everybody else. So go ahead, preach my sins from the housetops, but tell me the truth. Yeah, um, he's what what that is is a warning. If you guys 
say bad stuff about Joseph Smith, and we're talking about Joseph Smith here because I don't exactly know any other scandals about. of anyone else. We're talking about Joseph Smith. So if you guys say stuff that's um, purulent about, uh, you know, pur- where did pur- that come purient? from? <laughs> <laughs> Salacious, purient. Uh, you say this gossipy stuff about Joseph Smith. Well, that's gonna come back and get you. You, you. What if you had your own sins laid to the world? How would you like that? Fine. Exactly in fact, I did it in the last podcast. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, some time ago, a historian gave a lecture to an audience of college students on one of the past presidents of the church. It seemed to be his purpose to show that the president was a man subject to the foibles of men. It, clearly, it's Joseph Smith. Don't yeah. even beat around the bush. It's Joseph Smith. You think that anything about Wilford Woodruff would be salacious or perhaps Lorenzo Snow? Ooh, I mean, watch on. out for Lorenzo Snow. He was a partier. <laughs> come on. Uh, and he's angry that he said some bad stuff about Joseph Smith, you know, because these guys, those who are unsteady in their convictions, surely must have had their faith weakened or destroyed. Oh. Yeah. Poor so guys. Sad. Yeah. Poor guys. They, they, he told the truth. He never once says that it wasn't true. No, that not man, a single time. Can you imagine him railing against him? Wow, he told falsehoods about him, blah, blah, blah. What he says is some things are true that are not useful, so don't say them at all. Yeah, exactly. Now, the funny thing is, is then he gets to this quote, and this one is the one that really set me off. No responsible chemist would advise and no reputable school would permit a beginning student to register for advanced chemistry without a knowledge of the fundamental principles of chemistry. Basically, what he's getting at is you teach people small things and then they can move on to the larger things. It's the the milk before meat that you hear every freaking Sunday in church. Exactly. you know what? That would be fine if you ever got to any meat whatsoever. Yeah. Ever. When what he's telling here is don't give them any meat. They can't handle it. Stop it. That's Stop exactly right. Milk. When did I ever, sitting in church, hear that the Joseph Smith hypercephalus and his hieroglyphics right. were found? Right. When did I ever hear that? And when did I ever hear that archaeologists looked at it and laughed at Joseph Smith's translations? The problem with his line of reasoning there is that there is no advanced course that he would allow. Because it tells the truth that he doesn't like. So if you find out about Fanny Alger and the hypocephalus and his idiotic uh, um, transcription of the uh, hieroglyphs that has no meaning whatever, this Egyptian language and grammar, you find out about all this stuff, the Book of Abraham, totally fraudulent. Find out about him getting arrested during the time when he was supposed to be raised by God to get the golden plates for um, using his seer stones yeah. to seek out treasure? <laughs> uh, ridiculous. I would follow his line of reasoning if there ever was, indeed, anywhere, an advanced class in this stuff, or any meat whatsoever. All you get is the milk, all you get is the pap, the pablum, the crap that they say over and over again at General Conference. Be honest to each other, but don't be too honest. That's never in there, right? Yeah. Don't be too honest. That's what he tells these people. Treat your wife nice. Treat your husbands nice. Don't gamble. Don't look at pornography. That's the. Tell me when you've heard anything other than that over and over and over again. I've heard that since childhood, and every well, I shouldn't say heard. I, I heard it secondhand because I always slept through these general conferences. They are worse than even Sunday school church. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Um. So, he he tells him to you know be careful that you 
you, you would build faith because that's the whole thing about the church education system. You got to build, 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 build. Don't tear down faith. Don't tell the truth. Just, just build faith. That's all. Yeah. If it doesn't have God in it, then obviously it's not worth knowing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see. Some Third historians question. write and speak as though the only ones to read or listen are mature, experienced historians. No, they don't. They they no. assume that the people who are reading are adults, basically. Yeah. Like that that can be that can be a, a teenager if he's intelligent. That could be a co- certainly a college student. Um, they write and speak to a very narrow audience. No, they don't. They write to anyone who's going to listen to them. Unfortunately, many of the things they tell one another are not uplifting. Go far beyond the audience they may have attended and destroy faith. Oh, those those bad historians. Oh, I can't believe they would tell the truth like that. What that historian did with the reputation of the president of the church, Joseph Smith, was yeah. not worth doing. He seemed determined to convince everyone that the prophet was a man. We knew that already. No! <laughs> I'm pretty sure you didn't because obviously all you want to hear is the spiritual stuff and not the shit he pulled. It would have been much more worthwhile for him to have convinced us that the man was a prophet. A fact quite as true as the fact that he was a man. They already know he's a prophet, otherwise it wouldn't be sitting in the audience for some guy to talk about Joseph Smith. Yeah. Um, what they need to be convinced is that he had failings, just like you and me. Right? Because they hear every Sunday that this guy was a prophet. Yeah. In fact, that's all they hear. Follow the prophet. There's a song that is beaten into your head yeah. in primary school. Follow the prophet. Oh, I hate that song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there it, is. I think it is equally uplifting to find out that these people that you've held in esteem have the same problems and they grapple with the same stuff as you or me. So you don't have to be perfect in order to get saved into the celestial kingdom or go to heaven, because even the prophet has um, faults. I think that's yet, totally uplifting. Exactly. He has faults, but he surpassed them. He moved beyond them. But in uh, Joseph Smith's case, he never did really move beyond them because he kept sleeping with other women, uh, sending men off to war <laughs> and then missions and sleeping with their wives. So, yeah. Um, another thing you don't hear ever is that Brigham Young and John Taylor hated each other. Yeah, right, I, I love that. President of the church. They hated each other. Um John Taylor was much closer to Joseph Smith than Brigham Young was. Um, Joseph Smith was much more of a poet like John Taylor than Brigham Young. Brigham Young was more pragmatic, right? But yeah. these two, even though they hated each other, worked together. That's uplifting because they saw a greater good in it. I think that ought to be taught, but they can't because they're so afraid that they show these prophets as human beings who have personalities. Ridiculous. Well, I think I think the biggest problem with showing that would mean that the members of the church can question what is going on because that's exactly what Taylor did. He questioned. And you can't have that in the LDS church. You cannot question. That is contrary to what they want. Right. You can't question. Uh, let's see. What else you got highlighted before the next caution? Uh, actually, that's the last I've got highlighted. Next is the third caution for me. Well, let's see. Yeah, there's not... Uh, he, he makes some veiled threats about their spiritual... Um, salvation and if they if they um, follow the tenets of their profession regardless of how they may injure the church or destroy the faith of those not ready for quote advanced history is himself in spiritual jeopardy yeah right? he has excommunicated himself if that one is a member of the church he has broken his covenants and will be accountable amazing so he's telling them and this will become very important later on when he makes an appeal to come back to the church 
um, if you follow the tenets of your profession, then you're going to be held accountable and you won't <laughs> get into the, the, the heaven. Yeah. All right. Third caution. In an effort to be objective, impartial, and scholarly, um, terms obviously which Boyd K. Packer is unfamiliar with, a writer or a teacher may unwittingly be giving equal time to the adversary. So this is where you get into the, um, uh, the, the their attorneys for the church, basically. Yeah. Now, this, this was a great statement. I, I, I love the uh, little stories he brings up. In the church, we are not neutral. We are one-sided. There's a war going on, and we are engaged in it. It's a war between good and evil. Isn't that uh, like the Babylonian, where they had like a god of good and a god of evil, and they were the light and darkness? That's exactly what it is. It. That's where they get that. They don't really get that from Christianity. That's yeah. that's a holdover from the old uh, Zarathustra or whatever that those guys were battling each other. Yeah. We are obliged to give preference and to protect all that is represented in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have made covenants to do it. <laughs> Some of our scholars establish for themselves a posture of neutrality. They call it sympathetic detachment. Historians are particularly wont to do that. If they make a complimentary statement about the church, they seem to have to counter it with something that is uncomplimentary. That's because they are being detached, you retard. He doesn't know what objective means, right? Um, I don't think anyone can truly be objective, but you want to be as unbiased and objective as possible, or alternatively, lay out your biases and say, yep. here they are. Um, forgive me for them. Yeah, here are the facts. Here are my biases towards this. Make your own opinion. Now, he says um, some of them, since they are members of the church, are quite embarrassed with the thought that they might be accused of being partial. They care very much what the world thinks and are very careful to include in their writings criticism of the church leaders of the past. Now, that's, I think, the height of hypocrisy. If yep. you don't care what the world thinks, why don't you want the whole truth being exposed? Exactly right. And, uh, I mean, the funny thing to me is when I, when I read that passage, the first thing that goes through my head is of course these guys are going to be afraid of being accused as being partial. This is their profession. Profession trumps religion. Correct. If they put out uh, in, a, in a journal article crap about how the gift of discernment is a true power, and it's in a history journal, first, it would never pass peer review unless they had some sort of evidence for it. Second, yep. even if it did pass peer review, it would never be cited by anyone else in the field, and they would become a laughingstock, and yep. their career uh, would be over. And it would so, never make it to Barnes & Noble. Right, exactly. <laughs> so this whole third caution uh, tells me that um, he doesn't know what objective means in the first place, and he's arguing decisively against objectivity. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, he's putting down these church members who are out there trying to be objective and trying to lay out the whole truth. He's putting them down saying, you know what, it's because you're afraid of what the world is going to think about you. Which is what he's afraid of because he doesn't want any bad stuff to be publicized. Yeah. Well, see, the funny thing about about the LDS church is they always like to press upon their members that you should stand out and be different, that you should stand up for God no matter what. And they have all sorts of stories. I mean, my favorite was always about this, uh, this vagabond band that comes upon these pioneers. They're beating them up and, uh, basically they line them all up and say, okay, 
If any of you admit that you are of the Mormon church, I'm going to shoot you. And this one little girl who had a great testimony steps forward and says, I've got the priest, or not the priest, I've got the church, I'm spiritual, so on and so forth. And these vagabonds just laugh about it, and they're touched by her bravery, and then they walk away. Yeah, that um, goes all the way down to... That story's been circulating in different forms ever since, I believe, the nephew of Joseph Smith, I think it was Joseph F. Smith, who uh, was riding on horseback and he was camping, and these bad guys came and cocked a gun in his head and said, what religion are you? And if you say you're Mormon, I'm going to blow your head off. And he says, yes, sir, through and through, I'm Mormon, true blue. And then, you know, they were so impressed by this that they didn't shoot him. Yep, I've heard um, both stories. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, we are not obliged as a church, nor are we as members obliged, to accommodate the enemy in this battle that they're in, right? President yeah. Joseph Fielding Smith pointed out that it would be foolish general who would give access to all his intelligence to his enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Satan know all this stuff already? Obviously does. So then you're really not giving anything up, are you? No, no, not in the least. Uh, I, 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 this this entire commentary is hilarious to me because he's talking about a lawyer in a corporation that's about to be taken over and run under. Yeah. And he's basically saying, if you were the attorney for this company that's about to be bought, would it really behoove you to just pass out the entirety of the truth to the other company because then it w you would be acting as a traitor to both sides. He says, do you not recognize a breach of ethics or integrity or morality? First of all, Boyd, teachers aren't attorneys. <laughs> two different jobs, right? And you're slurring, you're, you're, you're um, conflating your soldier metaphor with your attorney metaphor and rolling it up into this massive propaganda ball. There is no the, the job of a teacher is to instruct and, and pass on the truth. The job of a, a teacher, especially in college, is not yep. to disseminate propaganda. It is to tell the truth. Well, that so depends far, what college you're going to. BYU, yeah. propaganda, yes. Any other college, no. In, or Liberty University. Yeah. So far as the truth can be backed up by evidence. You lay all that evidence out and you give it to the student, and you tell them, furthermore, how to reduce the bias and how to critically sift through that evidence, right? Exactly. Uh, in order to support a hypothesis or a theory. Your job is not to interpret the evidence for them, although in the beginning stages of the game, I think it probably helps. Here's one interpretation. Here's the evidence for it. Can you see how we got to this interpretation? What are the flaws of this interpretation? What are the benefits? Um, that's how you do it. That's how you teach history. It all this comes down to thinking. Think for yourself. Right. He is essentially telling these uh, teachers and professors to disseminate propaganda. That's their job. Yeah, well, it's actually hilarious to me because after he has this entire story about attorneys and everything else like that, he, he quotes this, this one elder who was teaching. <laughs> this is my favorite story in the entire thing. Many years ago, Elder Witso made reference to a foolish teacher in the Mutual Improvement Association who sponsored some debate with the intent of proving the abilities of the young members of the church. So I like this. They are actually debating, so their intellectual minds are being used for once. Right. He chose as a subject, resolved, Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. 
Unfortunately, the con side one. (laughs) (laughs) That totally serves them right. Uh, uh, You introduced critical thinking one time into the church, and they resolved that Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes on to say, the youngsters speaking in favor of the proposition were not as clever in their arguments, were not as carefully prepared as those of the opposing side. Yeah, I Uh, love um, that. That's one possibility. The other possibility (laughs) is that Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet, and all the evidence is on that side. And the critically thinking worked. Thanks very much. Right. Amazing. Amazing. On page 10, he does say uh, one thing that I agree with. Those who have carefully purged their work of any religious faith in the name of academic freedom or so-called honesty ought not expect to be accommodated in their researches or to be paid by the church to do it. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't think the church is obligated to pay for anyone um, who does scholarly endeavors that, that, um, that they don't Contradicts. like. You're, yeah. not, you're not obligated to publish anything you don't like, just like any corporation isn't obligated to. And that's what yeah. they are. They're, the church is just a corporation. I wouldn't expect Sony to pay for a study that says that uh, the Nintendo Wii is a much better gaming platform than the PlayStation 3. <laughs> they, don't, they have no obligation to do that. Um, yeah. So I agree. Um, but I disagree with him You know that says that, rest assured, you'll also get little truth and less benefit from those who steal documents or those who deal in stolen goods. Um, and he talks about how people sneak up into the church archives or the BYU library and copy stuff down and then publish it. (laughs) I think that um, you'd probably get a lot of truth that way. In in fact, you and I got a lot of truth on uh, what we were doing for the excommunication. That publication was not something I was supposed to have, and I just stumbled across it. Uh, Yet it's true. All right, the final caution. Are you ready for this? Well, hold on, hold on. Before you go there, I, I love this statement in there, and this kind of sums up exactly what he was stating. We should not be ashamed to be committed, to be converted, to be biased in favor of the Lord. Biased. At least he understands biased. Fine, but, you know, I agree. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. But don't call your papers scholarly. Don't call them objective. Don't call them worth anything other than to wipe my ass with unless you're talking in (laughs) Sunday school. Exactly. Don't voice that on me as as a scholarly article. Obviously, he forgot his objectivity when uh, (laughs) stating that statement. All right, can we move on to the fourth caution now? Yes, yes, I'm ready to move on. The final caution concerns the idea that so long as something is already in print, so long as it is available from another source, there is nothing out of order in using it in writing or speaking or teaching. Surely you can see the fallacy in that, he says. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so... Anything written down in the history, such as, oh, I don't know, journals of Joseph Smith's mother talking about how he used to regale the family with stories of the Indian people. Journal of Discourses, where Brigham Young says that if the church ever comes together and does away with polygamy or or gives the black people the priesthood, that church will will be cursed forever. That stuff? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, surely you can see the fallacy in this. I I know I can. He says... (laughs) Uh, he's been disappointed when you know he's uh, come in contact with people at the church who've done that, um, who've republished other stuff. He says, when I've commented on my disappointment to see that in print, the answer has been, it was printed before and it's available, and I, therefore I saw no reason not to publish it again. <laughs> you do not do well to see that it is disseminated. That's <laughs> what he says. Yeah, it and, may be read by those not mature enough for advanced history and a testimony in seedling stage may be crushed. Tell me once, 
once in my entire, what, 25 years in the LDS Church, once, when did I get to that advanced history? When did I find out about Fanny, about the hypocephalus? Once, tell me. Never, you're never ready for it. You're never ready for it, ever. Ever. They, they, they actually followed the practice of this when they put out their first um, teachings manual. They, they decided a while back, like a decade ago, once a year they would do a year-long... <laughs> it wasn't a siren this time. <laughs> a year-long teachings of a certain prophet. And they started out with Brigham Young, which I thought, pretty bold move, right? Yeah. Brigham Young, whose um, <laughs> teachings are almost uniformly against what the church teaches now. Obviously what, because there was that problem. <laughs> what they did was they changed all of the talks where he said wives and they put in brackets wife. And if you look at his timeline, his biography in the beginning, they show yeah. where he married one lady and then she died and then he married a second lady and then nothing else. So it looks like he's a monogamous when he had like freaking so many wives he couldn't remember them. I mean, there's a statement where he says, how many wives does the governor of Utah have, referring to himself? I don't know. I've lost count a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but if you read that manual, it looks like he's a monogamist. And he was, you know, the most famous polygamist in United States history. They try to pass off as, as a serial monogamist. And once again, that is the reason that just spurned me away from the church entirely is because they cut away little bits that they think are truths and they only allow you that much. Right. It's absolutely amazing to me. And they're hoping that this stuff will just go away. You know, and they're actually cautioning people, don't republish it, right? Let's let that go. Let's let that be yeah, buried. Let it slide. <laughs> 400 years from now, no one will know that Joseph Smith was a man. Yeah, exactly. Now, here he's talking directly to us. Remember, when you see the bitter apostate, you do not see only an absence of light. You see also the presence of darkness. That's you and do not spread disease germs, he says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm glad you picked up on that one, because I had that one underlined, bolded. I was laughing as soon as I read that. And here, I think, is absolutely how oblivious Boyd K. Packard is to the fact that he's speaking in one document, right? Yeah. Maybe he's just speaking off the top of his head. It seems impossible, because he has references and quotes. But listen to this. I learned a great lesson years ago when I interviewed a young man then in the mission home. He was disqualified from serving a mission. He confessed to a transgression that you would think would never enter the mind of a normal human being. He never mentions what it is, but I'd like to... I'd, like I'd to really like to know what it is, yeah. Where on earth did you ever get an idea to do something like that, I asked. To my great surprise, he said, from my bishop. He said, <laughs> the bishop in the interview said, have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done this other thing? and described in detail things that the young man had never thought of. They preyed upon his mind until, under perverse inspiration, the opportunity presented himself, and he fell. Isn't this whole talk called, The Mantle is far, far greater than the intellect? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this guy had a gift of discernment, for God's sakes. Obviously he did, but uh, maybe his discernment went just a little too far because he knew this this boy was going to run across this problem. To talk about how the mantle is far, far greater than the intellect, he has a thing, that, that he has a story that shows how screwed up this bishop was. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
I would very much like to meet this boy and find out what he did. I mean, th that statement, where on earth did you ever get an idea to do something like that? I would, that's been asked to me, but I know what I do. <laughs> I, I would love to find out what this mission boy was doing. Yeah, I'm curious too. What, what sin would be so great that it would never occur to a normal person? It's probably like masturbation. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you would masturbate in your companion's ear. Oh my God. <laughs> Why would you do that when we force you to be together for 24 straight months and you can't leave each other's side? Oh, I just remembered, uh, I think it's a, it's a urban legend among uh, Mormon missionaries, so our listeners will love this. Have you ever heard of the Ether Bunny? No. Oh, this, this was great. So uh, I was talking to one of my brothers, and uh, he was about to go on his mission, and he was telling me that he was cautioned by somebody else about the Ether Bunny. And uh, what, what the Ether Bunny was was this uh, this man was uh, a companion with another, and uh, at night he would sneak over with uh, with ether and put his companion to sleep so he could rape him in the ass. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to refer to the Book of Ether, which is like in the back of isn't that in the back of the Book of Mormon? Yeah, yeah, it is, but but yeah, that was the urban legend among Mormon missionaries was that sometimes your companion can be away from women so long that they will put you to sleep in any way possible and rape you. I am highly skeptical. <laughs> highly skeptical. All right, so he says those are the four cautions that he'd give. Now, he lists some qualifications. So what yep. does it take, those of you who want to teach or to write the history of the LDS Church. What are the qualifications? He says if one is lacking in any one of these qualifications, he cannot properly teach the history of the Church. So let's find out if you and I can teach, because obviously we're teaching people about yeah. the Church. He can recite and facts and give a point of view, but he cannot properly teach the history of the Church. So, so he's going to state these qualifications in the form of questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. We'll go one by one. I'll give you one, you give me one. Sounds good. Do you believe that God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, personally appeared to the boy prophet Joseph Smith Jr. in the year 1820? Only if he was on acid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first question disqualifies me. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a personal witness that the Father and Son appeared in their glory and stood above that young man and instructed him according to the testimony that he gave to the world in his published history? No. Do you know that the prophet Joseph Smith's testimony is true because, <laughs> because you have received a spiritual witness of its truth? The ether bunny gave me a spiritual witness. Do you believe that the church that was restored through him is, in the Lord's words, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth with which I, the Lord, am well pleased? Do you know by the Holy Ghost that this is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, restored by heavenly messengers in this modern era, that the church constitutes the kingdom of God on earth, not just an institution fabricated by human agency? No and no. I, I fully believe that it is simply an institution fabricated by human agency. And there's no evidence to the contrary. Exactly. It was a family who found a money-generating scheme. Do you believe that the successors to the prophet Joseph Smith were and are prophets, seers, and revelators? That revelation from heaven directs the decisions, policies, and pronouncements that come from the headquarters of the church? Have you come to the settled conviction? What does that mean, settled conviction? By Maybe the it's spirit. Like dinner settled. 
<laughs> that these prophets truly represent the Lord, Leighton? Um, no and no, because if there was revelation, the blacks would have had the priesthood a lot sooner than they did. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, or else God's a respecter of persons. Exactly. God's a racist. Now, you obviously noted that I did not talk about academic qualifications. So, you know, any rube off the street, if he answers these questions in the affirmative, can teach church history properly, even if he doesn't know shit about it. And you have hit the point right on the nail. We are talking rubes off the street. If the bishop or whoever looks at them and thinks, hey, I think they would be a good teacher, they become a teacher. And he demonstrated facts, understanding, and scholarship can be attained by personal study and essential coursework. The three qualifications I have named come by the spirit to the individual. Three? I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Obviously, <laughs> in his... Mean nothing, nothing to this person. <laughs> Simple <laughs> mathematics mean nothing. Excuse me, you are not teaching by the spirit of God. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Now, uh, what about that historian who defamed the early president of the church? Notice we're getting early now. It's totally Joseph yeah, Smith. And may well course. have weakened or destroyed faith in the process. What about other members of the church who have in their writings or in their teachings been guilty of something similar? I want to say something that may surprise you. Are you ready, Leighton? I am completely ready. Surprise me. I know of a man who did something quite as destructive as that, who later became prophet of the church. I refer to Alma the Younger. And then he tells you the story, the stupid story that swiped from Paul about Alma the Younger, who goes about persecuting <laughs> people <laughs> of the church. This is in the Book of Mormon. Uh -huh. Persecuting the people, making fun of it, mocking his father, who's a prophet. And then he had this religious experience where Christ appeared to him personally. He was tortured for three days. I think he was, like, struck into a coma or something. And uh, then he becomes a prophet. He's converted. Yep, it's it's you've the got... exact same story as Paul. Now, my question is, isn't he putting the cart before the horse? Because don't you have to believe uh, in the Book of Mormon to believe in this story? So wouldn't it have been better to, oh, I don't know, talk about a real live person who did something like this? Well, you obviously didn't um, read this sentence. I learned about Alma the Younger from reading the Book of Mormon, which in reality is a very reliable history of the church in ancient times. <laughs> you say that with a straight face. <laughs> Please tell me where all those breastplates went and all those murders and wars. <laughs> Back up to heaven. Obviously, they were twinkled. All right, here we go. I want to say something to that historian and to others who may have placed higher value on intellect than upon the mantle. The brethren then and now are men, very ordinary men, who have come for the most part from very humble beginnings. Translation, they're rubes. We yep. need your help. We desperately need it. We cannot research and organize the history of the church. We do not have the time to do it. We're too busy freaking preaching and gathering tithing. Yeah, we're, we're, we're too busy deciding what can go on the truth block and what can't. <laughs> we're making a blacklist. That's our job. <laughs> and we we not, need to have a book burning next week. We do not have the training that you possess, which he says is worth nothing. But we do <laughs> know the spirit and how essential a part of our history it is. Ours is the duty to organize a church, to set it in order, to confer the keys of authority, to perform the ordinances, to watch the borders of the kingdom and carry burdens, heavy burdens for others and for ourselves that you can know little about. God. Oh, God. You know that... how inadequate we really are compared to the callings we've received? Can you feel in a measure the weight, the overwhelming weight of responsibility that is ours? I didn't see anything in there that's weighty at all. Yeah, why, why don't you listen to me, you little chode? 
I will carry my own burdens. Put them on my shoulders. We are not free to do some of the things that scholars think would be so reasonable, for the Lord will not permit us to do them. (laughs) Really? He presides over it. When when did God come down here and say, whoa, now, guys, whoa, don't do that or I will smite you. Please, God. Easy. Uh, Then he tells about some guy who got excommunicated and how nice President Kimball was and blah, blah, blah. And then he says about he was sent to – I love how – I got to read this to you. Um, A missionary had confessed to a transgression, and the mission president was reluctant to take action. I was instructed to see that a court was convened and the missionary was and that the missionary was excommunicated. He wasn't con- he wasn't instructed to investigate. He was instructed to call a court together and excommunicate the kid. Yep. Hmm, where's your lawyer now? Yeah. And so, you know, apparently he gets a, a some revelation from the spirit that um uh, oh, God. He said his inspiration greatly affected the outcome when the final action was taken, even though he doesn't tell us what it was. Yeah. Do not yield your faith in payment for an advanced degree or for the recognition and claim of the world. Oh, kiss my ass. You guys went down that path in 1890 when you gave up polygamy, which you had always said was necessary for your salvation in order for the acclaim of the world and to get statehood. Yeah. You guys came in 1978 because you're being harassed by civil rights groups and you received a, a revelation which you've never printed just you've just printed the fact that you got a revelation you don't have the balls to print the actual revelation in 78 that now blacks can't have the priesthood no doctrinal justification for it even though it was a doctrinal justification for not giving it to the blacks god just says oh it's time now here you go <laughs> Yeah, us white folks are ready. You blacks can have it. Uh Uh-huh, yes, sir. You have routinely de-emphasized all the stuff that makes you look bad, like polygamy, like the blacks in the priesthood, um, like the changes in the temple ceremony, the changes in the temple garments, uh, the changes in the Book of Mormon, all this stuff you've de-emphasized. You've emphasized all the marketable stuff, like you can be together with your family and you've forever, in eternity, and you've moved toward mainstream Christianity. Why? Because you want to be seen as mainstream Christians. Exactly. You want the acclaim of the world. So go to hell when you say this stuff about scholars looking for recognition and acclaim of the world. You total hypocrite. Yep. And that is the point, Chris, uh, from Australia, our fourth listener. (laughs) (laughs) That is the point right there, is they have a PR spin on this. There's, There's two ways the church grows. First off, uh, most church members, they are to go out and uh, pretty much procreate as much as they can because obviously the family is where your salvation is. So, I mean, we're talking family sizes of five and six are quite regular and larger aren't surprising. And the second is the PR. I mean, they, they flash so much PR in front of everybody that nobody has the truth unless they really start digging for it. So, really, that's why people are in this religion. Really slick productions. They all dress in nice, clean suits. Um, They send out scrubbed, fresh-faced 19-year-olds who don't know anything. So if they say something wrong, they can just say, oh, they're just young. They don't know. Come in and talk to me. It's a total scam. And they're extremely wealthy. They've got the money to do it. All right, so the last page. I wanted to read this one. All right. It's a plea to come back. To you who who may have lost your way, come back. We know how that can happen. 
We have walked that path of research and study. Obviously, he's had doubts himself. Come help us. You with your scholarship and training. You with your bright, intelligent minds. Translation. We're a church filled with idiots. We need yeah. intelligent people. You with your experience and your academic degrees. How grateful we are today for the many members who have special gifts and special training that they devote to the building up of the church and kingdom of God and to the protecting of it. I think there, he is not, he's denigrated to training. Forget about your training. Just do faith-promoting stuff. What he really wants is their degrees. He yep. wants to be able to say, we have a number of PhDs in Mormonism. We've got, look at all these smart people we have. Well, the irony of this is it was in eight, 1981, about a decade and a half later, they excommunicated the six intellectuals from the church. <laughs> For <laughs> writing truths. Right. They never <laughs> disputed the fact that they uh, uh, engaged in truth. They just uh, got excommunicated because the truth wasn't particularly helpful to them. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, those six intellectuals, the uh, September 6th, really should have read this article before, you know, posting well, their truths. Come back. Come back. Help us. Um, this plea is very disingenuous. Come back. We'll use you until you're not useful to us, until you start publishing stuff that exposes our falsehoods and fraudulent behavior. The yep. fact that after our manifesto in 1890, we uh, continued to engage in plural marriages from the highest offices. Wilfred Woodruff himself on, on the seas, where he wasn't um, apparently under United States law, he sailed out on a boat and married a bunch of people. <laughs> a bunch of apostles were commissioned to do it. That's the whole reason they needed a second manifesto in 1904. But in between those two years, all the way up to the highest offices, they were living a lie. They said to the world, we don't do polygamy anymore, just like they did when Joseph Smith was, you know, it's, it's clear they went back to the times of Joseph Smith. Oh, yep. we don't do polygamy anymore. We don't do, we've never done polygamy. They have this nice uh, talk where John Taylor, bald-faced lie, he's debating some guy, he, the guy brings up polygamy, and he says, I hear these um, scurrilous accusations, you know, from scoundrels about us engaging in polygamy, and uh, I've never been able to find that I have more than one wife. Well, <laughs> clearly... He had like a dozen at the time. At yep. the time. Just total lies. Yeah. Better to lie as long as God's kingdom is pushed forward. Right. Clearly, yeah. um, the, the audience hadn't come to the meat portion and they were still in the milk. Yeah, I, I'm still wondering when any of us are going to get past that uh, milk portion. I think maybe only the prophet can because he has lived long and old enough to get there. Right. God, this, this stuff is maddening. Anyway, that's the article. He's got four cautions, which are ludicrous, and seven qualifications, which he thinks are only three. <laughs> he he forgot how to go to kindergarten. Maybe that's what he considers higher education is kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> They're even in different paragraphs. I mean, I suppose he could have, you know, done this speech and then only recalled three of them. That's a possibility. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, amazing. Amazing to me. But But this is... This is Mormonism laid bare. He's not talking to the public, otherwise I don't think he would ever have said this stuff. No. He's talking no, not to least. a group of Mormons who are invested in the church because they're teaching future generations, and he's telling them, essentially, lie to these kids. Yep. Lie, lie your ass off for the betterment of their souls. Yeah. Lie, omit, and propagandize to these children because the end justifies the means and and we all know this church is true and the doctrines are true so you'll be yep. um 
you'll be blessed. Better for it in the end. Yeah, right. exactly. And which end are they taking it up in? Uh, that is up to question. What is it with you? <laughs> I still got the ether bunny on the head. I, I can't. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> nice. Very, very nice. All right. Um, we were going to have a Mormon female um, talk about you know Mormon feminism and then the treatment of of women in, yep. in Mormonism, um, but Leighton's too incompetent, so we couldn't do that. Yes, we yes. Have, the fact that I'm working on it, it proves that I'm incompetent. We, we Thank went you. Over the that. statistics, right? Five and a half million Mormon members in in the country. At uh-huh. least fifty percent of those have to be women. Yep. So you have nearly three million potential targets. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> let, let's just run a swab through that three million and say maybe two would even consider coming on our show, right. and I have to sift through and find so, those two. So, so two million people would potentially come on our show. How can no, we no, find two? <laughs> two. I can count. <laughs> All right. What's your ETA? When do you think you'll be able to get a Mormon female on the show? Uh, I'm hoping within the next week or two. Otherwise, we might just have to discuss feminism by ourselves and you know put on bras and hair uh, pieces. I, I would really like to have a female Mormon or even ex-Mormon. If you got go on one of the ex-Mormon boards. That's actually what I have been doing. Oh, no one will come on. Yep. <laughs> No one likes us. We've only got four listeners. No, I mean, they, come they on. They can't embarrass themselves. <laughs> it's impossible. All right, so we'll we'll uh, we'll get Leighton to buckle down, and uh, we'll do that. Hopefully, sometime this month, yeah, uh, we'll get Leighton to actually work. Oh, thanks for pointing that out. Bye. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.